Hey, Leading Learning listener, if you represent a membership organization looking for ways to expand your online course catalog rapidly with high quality content, we have good news. At leadinglearning.com AMA, you can find out how to make online training from the American Management Association available to your learners. Through a partnership between AMA and Tagoras, the parent company of Leading Learning, you can give your learners access to more than 70 e-learning modules covering essential business topics ranging from leading and innovating, to managing projects effectively, to working in hybrid teams. For details on how to grow your catalog with courses from a true global leader in management training, visit leadinglearning.com AMA. If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 227 of the Leading Learning Podcast, where we talk with Dave McEwen. Dave is the founder of Outfield Leadership and the author of the book, The Self-Evolved Leader, Elevate Your Focus and Develop Your People in a World that Refuses to Slow Down. Salisa, what do you and Dave talk about? Well, we focus primarily on concepts from his book, The Self-Evolved Leader. Um, In that book, he talks about how he sees humanity as, as stuck between two worlds at this point in time. We're beginning to move away from the old industrial era way of thinking about leadership and and what he calls its relentless focus on top-down hierarchy and planning, but we haven't fully developed our thoughts on what comes after the bureaucratic organization, but it looks like we're collectively emphasizing things like decentralization of autonomy and decision-making, emphasizing increased ownership by workers and employees, and just emphasizing more mindfulness in general. Dave's laid out an approach to leadership that focuses on six micro-disciplines and five core disciplines that move away from that old-school focus on the top-down hierarchy and planning, and that move us towards decentralization, empowerment, and, and mindfulness. So we talk, for example, about attention management, because Dave believes that's the number one discipline for leaders to develop. And I'll argue that I think attention management is probably the number one discipline for learners to develop. Indeed it is. And so this is really a conversation about leadership. And of course, that's a topic we've focused on a lot here at Leading Learning. So I do want to make sure that listeners remember that we categorize all episodes based on content. And the leadership category is one that's built up a lot of content, which you can find easily enough by clicking on leadership in the sub-navigation on the Leading Learning site at leadinglearning.com. Or if you want, you can go straight to leadinglearning.com slash category slash leadership. And we'll also link to that in the show notes to make it as easy as possible. And we definitely encourage you to take some time to explore all of the many episodes we've published that focus on leadership. In the meantime, though, Salisa, what reflection questions will listeners find in the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 227? Well, I would encourage listeners to pay attention to what Dave has to say about learned helplessness and then ask, where is learned helplessness negatively impacting your own performance and or the performance of the people you work with at your organization? Are there approaches in the products and services you're designing and delivering that encourage learned helplessness in your learners? And then, of course, you want to ask, how might you encourage 
empowerment rather than learned helplessness? Great questions to ponder. And now let's help ourselves to the conversation with Dave McHugh. Hello, and welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. I'm Salisa Steele, and today I'm joined by Dave McEwen. Dave is the author of the book, The Self-Evolved Leader, Elevate Your Focus and Develop Your People in a World That Refuses to Slow Down. He's the founder and CEO of Outfield Leadership, and he speaks, coaches, and trains individuals, teams, and organizations to help them achieve excellence by doing the ordinary things extraordinarily well. Dave, welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. Well, thank you, Salisa. It's great to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Well, so, you know, obviously I just gave a really uh, brief sketch of, of your background and what you do. So what would you highlight for listeners about yourself and your work as as backdrop for our conversation? Sure, happy to, to elaborate. Um, as I'm sure you're probably picking up. I'm not from Southern California where I currently <laughs> live. Um, I'm actually from Ireland originally, um, Northern Ireland, in, in fact. And I started my career many moons ago uh, back in the UK working for uh, Accenture, a big IT consulting company, which I'm sure you are, are familiar with. And um, during that time, I, I really um, started to see that the leaders in the organization that had the biggest impact weren't necessarily the ones that were functionally best at the role that they were in, but that they had a whole set of other skills, which I guess later came to um, identify as, as leadership skills. They were really presenting a vision for where we're going as a team and then and then helping the team get there. And that set off for me a, a lifelong learning journey to try to uncover what it really meant to be an effective leader in today's world and then to help people get there. And so uh, having, having left Accenture a number of years ago, I moved over to the States and, and really have spent the last nearly 10 years or so working with leaders and leadership teams, uh, quite often in really fast-growing organizations, um, helping them to, to find the balance between uh, the creativity and innovation you need to grow a business with the systems and processes that you need to scale it. And then underneath it all, uh, how do you as a leader um, really elevate focus so that you're not just in the weeds of the day-to-day firefighting every day, but that you're giving yourself the headspace to think about the long-term direction of your team. And, and you know, that's just been um, the constant thread throughout my career by trying to find the humanity in, in, in leadership. Well, great. I think that, you know, you clearly have spent a lot of time thinking about leadership and uh, it's your book, The Self-Evolved Leader, that brought you to my attention. And so let's start with that. Will you tell us what is self-evolved leadership? Sure. Um, So one of the things that I've noticed over the the last number of years is that we spend billions and billions of dollars in trying to develop our people, whether that's webinars or workshops or keynotes or books or training sessions. And, and we've kind of got to this, this place where we're doing our, our leaders a disservice, disservice in effectively um, telling them that, you know, it's the organization's role to develop you as a leader. But as we see in terms of surveys and the data that's out there, we're not having the impact that we want to have. And I think that one of the big shifts that we need to see in our uh, leaders is this movement towards taking your taking control of your own development over your own learning and evolving yourself, um, essentially starting from the premise of I'm responsible for my own 
growth. Um, I can control what I can control, but I shouldn't try to control what I can't. And so self-evolved leaders, uh, you know, they, they start from that premise that says, I want to become the best version of myself. And I also want to help my team become the best version of them of themselves. Well, and, and you've already touched on it, this, this link between the self-evolved leader and, and learning. And, and in fact, you write, the pursuit of lifelong learning is a crucial component to growing as a self-evolved leader. And you also note that in addition to carving out time for lifelong learning opportunities, self-evolved leaders also make the time for practice and reflection. And, and I think those points are going to resonate with leading learning listeners they know the importance of lifelong learning. That's at the foundation of what they make possible. And they know that practice and reflection are essential if real learning mm-hmm. is to happen. Um, but you also kind of go one step further and you say that, you know, you can't have a pursuit of lifelong learning without vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So I'm really curious to have you talk more about that. What do you mean by that? And, and what's the role of vulnerability in learning and in self-evolved leadership? Sure. So let's actually look at it in two ways. Number one, that I I think that our leaders today in general, we're seeing a shift towards leaders becoming more vulnerable, more parent you know we used to have this old model of our leaders out in front um operating with absolute surety about where we're going and absolute you know um uh, dog fastness you know follow me take us to the right place but you know in our in our overly complex world we know that that surety is no longer guaranteed and in fact we're now looking for our leaders to say hey not actually 100 percent sure that this is the right direction i think it is because of you know x y and Z. What do you think? Is this a journey that you would like to go on with me? I think it's going to be awesome. Do you want to go there? And and I think we're looking for our leaders to be more vulnerable, to, to not necessarily have to have that chest beating, you know, pounding, I'm going to show the way. Um, and then as it relates to ongoing learning, you know, the, the reality is there are aspects of learning that really do require uh, vulnerability. Um, the first one is just objective analysis of who you are as a leader and, and the reflection that it takes to openly say, hey, I know what I'm good at and what my strengths are. I know those areas where I'm, I'm maybe not as good, but but I want to actually um, become more well-rounded. I, I want to be able to grow and develop that take. Um, vulnerability. Secondly, and linked to that is just the the need to have, I guess, outside um, evaluation on your strength as a leader, to to be confident and to to say, you know what, whether it's my team or my peers or my manager or an executive coach or another organization, I I want to put myself forward um, for people to assess how I am as a leader because I know that ultimately it's going to get us to a good place and to not be defensive in that, but to be truly um, open and vulnerable. So that's where I think it plays a really crucial role in, in, in ongoing learning. Yeah, so it sounds like there's this importance of, of owning up that you don't know it all. And, and it seems like as the world has become increasingly fast-paced, it is more and more difficult to know it all. And that opens you up for both learning and then to uh, help in this leadership model that is uh, l- less of the sort of single 
heroic leader and more of this kind of a deeply ingrained in the team leadership approach? Yeah, absolutely. Because the the problem with leading through acts of heroism is when you say that you know the answer and that you're constantly kind of saving victory from the jaws of defeat and stepping in to save the day for your team, what happens over time is you begin to um, to become a bottleneck. And so you end up scrambling in the weeds, moving from emergency to emergency, from crisis to crisis. Uh, and you end up um, in a place of overwhelm and, and burnout. But also for your people, what happens is um, over time, if they know that you're just going to tell them the answer or what to do or, or do the thing for them, they're just going to 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 essentially over time develop this sense of learned helplessness where rather than trying to solve their own problems or trying to come to you and say, hey, I think we should do this rather than that, they're just going to start coming and saying, hey, I've got this problem. What do you want me to do about it? And so we get into what I call a cycle of mediocrity where um, because we want to move quickly in our organization, we view everything as urgent. Much uh, The leader believes it's much easier or faster for them just to, to solve the problem. And like I said, they become the bottleneck and their people aren't developing. And, and that becomes problematic because it means that the leader doesn't have the headspace to think creatively, to think about the long-term direction of their, of their team and the development of their people, to think about the truly important but not necessarily urgent aspects of their job. Well, that concept of learned helplessness was uh, an idea that stood out to me in, in reading you. And, um, you know, you, you just talked about kind of what it is and how this pattern can get created where, um, where the leader is essentially kind of uh, um, by providing all the answers sort of taking away from the team members that, that ability to contribute. So, so I guess talk about the alternative. What is it we, we can do to help others unlearn their their helplessness kind of once they've gotten that that mindset sure and i mean like any good behavioral shift it starts number one with you as as the leader number two with a perspective shift and i I talk about in the book about adopting a new mantra which is that your focus should be on helping your team achieve their shared goals and um and as a result develop into the best version of themselves and the reason why i suppose that is the mantra is there's no room for for heroism there because if i succeed and my team fails or even if one person or two people on my team succeeds but everybody else else fails then then i as a leader have failed but also if we're just getting results for the sake of getting the results and and we're just doing it through those acts of heroism but nobody's growing and, and nobody's developing then then again you know you're you're not um doing the job or appropriately as, as a leader. So, so that's the first kind of perspective shift that you have to make. And, and ultimately what that starts to do is you need to back away from that firefighting, from getting stuck in the weeds, from the tactical day-to-day, ditch-to-ditch um, leadership, and actually start to carve out some time to think about what's truly important. Um, we've got to this point where we because we're moving so quickly and because we've just got so many interruptions in our in our daily uh, work life we're just treating everything as urgent and we need to get better at saying hey we can deal with that you know tomorrow next week at our next one or one at our next quarterly meeting whenever it is right now we need to focus on what's truly important well, I, you know, I think this idea of learned helplessness, you know, applies of course to to learning businesses as well, not just in terms of of leading the the team internally that's creating those learning experiences, but I'm thinking too in terms of 
the learners, right? That so often we can sometimes rely on uh, approaches to teaching that are really about sort of flipping to the back and checking, you know, what the right answer is versus, right. you know, really making them sort of struggle or think through, you know, w- what would be, you know, the quote right answer in this situation. So mm-hmm. I think there's uh, an application there as well. I, th- I think that, yeah, it's huge. And, you know, our learning experiences have to push our learners to the edge of their level of comfort, not in a, in, not in a, in a way that, um, in a way that challenges them, not in a way that makes them feel, you know, necessarily bad about it. But if we're not be- being pushed to that area of, of discomfort, then we're not, we're really, we're not learning. We're just in that sort of safe zone. And, and I think that you're right that we've got to avoid just that rote, what's the right answer, teach to the test, teach to the book. We, we've got to provide um, scenarios and discussions and activities that cause our learners to really evaluate what they would do in that situation and what that means about their character. I think, you know, it's, it's funny, I often say that um, sometimes we, we, we view helping people become better leaders by saying, well, look, if you just learn this competency or this behavior, you know, if you just become better at having difficult conversations or you just become better at managing your time, you'll be a better leader. But the reality is that's like taking your car into the um, mechanic to get a paint job when the engine needs replaced. You know, I really think that in order to help folks truly learn, we've got to get them focused on who they are as a leader and and who do they want to be? What's the character that they want to develop? Well, I think that segues pretty well into another area I wanted to touch on with you, which is this notion of of leadership as a soft skill. Um, Mm -hmm. You you don't like that. I mean, you say that when we treat leadership as a soft skill, we get soft leadership, and it comes from nothing more than our collective desire to not want to put the additional hard work in to define our own development needs and to practice, truly practice leadership. And so then you go on to say, so in fact, let's just like forget even talking about leadership as a skill and instead let's talk about disciplines. Mm. So what do you mean when you talk about leadership disciplines and, and what are some of the leadership disciplines that, that you've uncovered? Sure. And, and, you know, the reason that I dislike that notion of a soft skill is, as I said, um, a little bit more eloquently in the book than I'll say right now, <laughs> but it, it it causes us to say, oh, well, you know, leadership, you can't assess against it. You can't train for it. You can't, you can't see it. It's just, we just sort of, and it kind of leads us this, to this belief that the only real way to become a good leader is through osmosis. And, um, you know, as I'm sure your listeners are more than aware, that's not the case. Like you can practice leadership in the same way that you can practice learning how to play the drums. You've just got to find the opportunity, find the area that you want to work on and, and then and then go out there and practice it. So I said, rather than talking about hard skills and soft skills, let's talk about actually building true discipline in, into what you do. And, and the reason I, I talk about that is um, truly excellent, truly great leadership, getting there, master as a discipline is actually not a very enjoyable place to get to. It's the same as mastering any skill. You know, you can be good at something or you can be naturally um, um, good at something and it's fun and it's, you know, it's fun to go out and 
you know, say knock a tennis ball around because you're naturally good at it. If you want to train to become Roger Federer or Rafael Nadal, you know, the sheer amount of hours that you've got to spend out there on the tennis court is just mind-numbingly, excruciatingly boring <laughs> at times. And being a great leader is no different. But the result is awesome, right? Because then you're building a legacy. Then you're building true character. Then you can get to the end of a long, hopefully very um, uh, bountiful life and look back and say, I did everything I could to become the best version of myself and help my team become the best version. And so I break it down into a number of disciplines that I think are really core in today's day and age, which we can definitely talk through um, as it, as it uh, piques your interest. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I know that you you kind of talk about some micro disciplines and then you talk about core disciplines. And, and I did want to talk about at least one and, and would certainly welcome, though, your comments if you uh, have others that, that you would like to to talk about, but, you know, in particular, you single out attention management as, as a number one discipline to develop. And, and so talk a little bit about why that discipline is so important, so fundamental. Sure. Um, I, I think it's because if you just look at, at, at life and society and where we are today and, you know, bucket in the workplace into that, um, we're at a position where we're just being bombarded at such an incredible rate, whether it's emails or phone calls or Slack messages or water cooler conversations or social media feeds or news feeds or Reddit columns. There's just so much pulling at our attention. Um, and, and, where I see leaders who are really good at this, they have the ability to say, I'm going to resist that urge and that pull. And quite frankly, that dopamine hit that we're, we're, we're now getting to the point where we're seeking out because I know that if I'm going to constantly chase those interruptions, I'm never going to get out of the weeds. And, and so I think that for those leaders who really want to be able to get get on to developing their people and get on to thinking about the long-term direction of their team, they have to find a way to put a good attention management system in place. And, and I think that essentially what we've seen is that we've seen the whole notion of time management and productivity management uh, in the workplace over the last two decades, and it's now moving much more closely um, towards attention management. So just, you know, a simple exercise that you can do is just take a, keep a notepad beside you and, and just note down on a given day, how many pings are you getting on your computer and your phone that is drawing you away from the issue at hand? Um, Cal Newport is probably one of the greatest um, thinkers on this at the minute. He talks about a concept called attention residue that essentially says that psychologically, if you're in the middle of something, whether it's a meeting or working through an important report or a PowerPoint deck or a phone call or whatever it is, and you get pulled away into something else, there's this little bit of residue that when you return to the to the task that you were, were working on, stays in your head from the from the interruption. And um, researchers are, are, are coming out with data that says it typically takes us about 15 to 20 minutes to refocus our attention once we've been distracted. So you just think about the sheer number of distractions on, on, a, on a daily basis and the amount of time then wasted trying to refocus your attention. So that's why, for me, it's the fundamental one, because if you can't get this right, there's just no time to do anything else. <laughs> well, absolutely. So, I, I mean, I agree that that uh, attention management is does seem so essential. And again, it, it, it seems essential both to leadership and to learning. I mean, the same, you know, holds true, right? If, if we want learners to be able to uh, actually 
um, really learn something that we're, we're teaching them, they, they have to be able to focus on it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, yeah, thinking too about how we can potentially help them uh, be aware of the need to um, manage their attention or, or what we can do to build in um, experiences that help sort of limit those other inputs. A hundred percent. And I think that we've got to be careful in providing learning experiences that we don't just come in with a draconian, like put your, your laptops and your cell phones away. Um, we've got to come in and, and set the context that says, look, on, on at the foundational level, what you get out of this learning experience, it doesn't matter what that is, whether it's a book or a keynote or a workshop or an online session, whatever you get out of this um, experience is going to be directly related to what you put into it. And so if if your attention is being pulled in other directions, then you're not going to get the most out of this time. So what do we as a group want to do to ensure we're not um, that we're not being distracted individually and worse still that we're, you know, distracting the group? And so for me, a lot of the times if we're doing like a, a half day session or a full day session, you've got to say, look, there's obviously going to be bathroom breaks and bio breaks and all of that to go and do your your email or your phone call. I've got no problem if you've got something that you need to attend to. The only thing that I ask is that you do it outside the room so that you, so that the folks in the room, you're, you're, you're respecting their decision to stay present, stay mindful. No, that's a nice uh, added thoughts on, on how to handle it because, of course, it fits in with, with what you're talking about, the self-evolved leader, rather than being that sort of top-down, this is how we're going to do it, this is how we're going <laughs> to limit those, uh, those, those pings and those uh, calls for your attention. It's more of a, let's, let's talk about how we can do this as a group to, right. to best achieve our, our goal. I think the best way to get anybody to buy into a direction that you want to go in, whether it's in leadership or, or, or parenting or, or anything else, is to set the context of the why and then give them the option to opt in or out. You know, I don't think that setting dictates um, today's day and age works <laughs> that effectively. Well, so, you know, time, excuse me, attention management, not time management, <laughs> an important distinction, attention management being one of the, the really important disciplines. Is there, is there another one, you've sort of called that one out as a first importance, is there one of the other ones that you would like to sort of tell listeners a, a bit about? Um, sure, happy to. So there's a, there's a bit of a flow here that when you start um, stacking a couple of these disciplines together, you really start to accelerate the effectiveness. So the first one is if you can start to manage those interruptions on a daily basis, you're going to start to get yourself some time to focus on what's truly important. The next thing to, to start to think about then is um, uh, what I call t- facilitating team flow. And by that, I mean, um, how do you um, ensure that the workload that comes into your team gets filtered out effectively uh, amongst your team members and then back out to the wider organization rather than just coming into you and just stopping at your desk. So, you know, another way to look at it is, are you delegating effectively um, to the rest of the folks um, on your team? And, And, you know, it's funny how much has been written and said about this, but yet how much still remains true that most leaders um, either over-delegate and under-communicate uh, or they just don't delegate at all for fear of, um, one, it's going to take too much time or two, I'm just going to have to do it myself anyway and fix it. And 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 both of those things are, are really just you responding to your ego, saying that your role as the leader um, is to is to know the answers in this instance and if 
get too much out. You're not going to have um, value to add into your team or your organization. And so my perspective is, as you look down your to-do list, and if you can, you should ask yourself honestly for each item that's on that list, could somebody on my team, even if they needed a little bit of support and guidance or a little bit of time from me, could somebody on my team effectively do that? If the answer is yes, then you've got to find a way to delegate it out. And so you want to start to chop that to-do list down to by 50% or even better just by 75% so that all that's left on that is the stuff that you truly add value to as a leader. And so the flow is you get better at managing the interruptions into your into your workload. You get better at, at pushing that out into your team. And then you move to a point where you're supporting your team to high performance. So rather than just micromanaging them and standing over their shoulder, you're providing coaching moments for them to grow and develop and, and, and learn. And, and for leaders who walk through this process and really get it right, they just get hours back in their day to truly, as the book subtitle says, elevate their focus. Um, they get the ability to spend time thinking creatively, thinking strategically, and thinking a little bit more of the medium and long-term direction. Well, I think that uh, second point around that facilitating team flow and um, that idea of, of delegation uh, fits in with something else I wanted to ask about, which is the issue of control. And that comes up uh, in multiple places in the book. And it's not usually in the context of what a leader or aspiring leader can control, but it's actually usually in the context of what they can't. So we Hmm. can't control how someone we work with or manage responds to our feedback. We can't make our team be empowered and take ownership. Um, and, And this, of course, is an issue for learning businesses or can be, you know, we can design and develop those learning experiences and we do it in a way that we think and hope will promote learning, but ultimately comes down to that individual learner. Does she want to learn? Mm. And so I'm curious about what advice you have for leaders and for learning businesses kind of grappling with this paradox that a big part of what they need and want to do um, isn't directly under their control. Sure. I mean, I, I think the first thing is to to strip your ego out of it and to understand that in those areas that you can't control, it it doesn't mean that you've failed or that you're a bad leader. So, you know, ultimately, if you walk through the, the steps required to be a quote unquote good leader and somebody on your team just doesn't want to take ownership or doesn't want to take accountability and, and you're going through that your own learning process and your own self-reflection to, to just get to the point and say, well, you know, that's that's their decision and that's their choice and to be comfortable with that and to find then the appropriate, you know, place for them in the team or the organization is is, is a huge thing. Um, I think the, the other thing that often happens when somebody comes forward and puts forward this message that says, you know what, I have no control, they're, they're ultimately painting a sandbox from the, for themselves. And in most cases, that sandbox is somewhat imaginary and closer to them than it is in reality. And, and, and my advice and guidance, if you've got somebody in front of you that says, I can't control X or y, y or Z, is to say, well, have you pushed the boundaries? Have you pushed the element? Have you knocked up against that sandbox so that you truly know where the limitation is? Because the problem happens that when we convince ourselves that we have no control and that we can't take empowerment or that, you know, something externally is going to um, 
uh, pull down our efforts, then that just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So push up against it and see where your areas of control are. Then as an adult, as a human being, when you truly know where the boundaries are of your area of control, then you get to make adult decisions about what you want to do with that. Are you comfortable playing, playing in that sandbox that has that area of control around you? If so, awesome. Be the best leader you can in that sandbox. Are you not? Okay, well then maybe you've got to find somewhere else that you can you, that you can you can be more comfortable. The worst thing that you can do is just say I have no control, but not actually actively know whether that's true or not. It's just based on anecdote. Mm, that's uh, an excellent point about making sure is that is that boundary around your control uh, accurate and, mm-hmm. and true. So really testing that. Well, so we're actually going to begin to to start to wrap up and, and want to head into um, a penultimate question. This is one that we ask of all. Um, guests on the Leading Learning Podcast, and it focuses on your personal learning. And specifically, uh, the question is, what is one of the most powerful learning experiences that you've been involved in as an adult since finishing your formal education? Um, sure, happy to share. There's actually two that, that come to mind. Um, both are kind of uh, learning development training workshops that I went through. Um, one is by a company called Experience Point, and they, they do a lot of work on innovation and design thinking. Um, and they have just crafted a, a beautiful interaction between in-classroom learning linked up with technology that really walks participants through a design thinking process and project in a way that really um just it it, it really sticks with you and and the lessons that you've learned you walk away with um it it, to me just blew my mind how they were able to link technology and and in-room training uh, all in one um and then secondly a company called box of crayons uh they um have a number of workshops one called the coaching habit um which is really all about giving participants practice uh, in the um, skills that they're trying to teach which is how to be more coach-like um and, and what i like about both those experiences it's it's it isn't a box ticking exercise it's focused on giving participants as close to real world experience of of what it is that they're teaching as possible and and keeps reminding participants of what those key takeaways are that they want to put in into place so that would be my my true sorry that i stole an extra one i just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't i couldn't decide between the both of them well no i think that's great and like you said they both speak to this idea of uh learning that is as practical and actionable as as possible. Mm -hmm. So final question, Dave, is if listeners want to learn more about you and your work or connect with you, where should they go? Uh, sure. So um, if you want to know more about the book, go to selfevolvedleader.com. There's all the details on how you can order it. And there's a bunch of free resources there. And if you want to learn more about um, what I do from a training, consulting, coaching perspective, go to outfieldleadership.com. Uh, I'm also on most of the social networks as uh, Dave McEwen. So follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and love to connect with anybody out there. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your thoughts on the self-evolved leader. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate the conversation. That concludes the conversation with Dave McEwen. To get show notes, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 227. And the show notes will include the reflection questions, which are one, where is learned helplessness negatively impacting your own performance and or that of the people you work with at your organization? Two, are there approaches in the products and services you're designing and delivering that encourage learned helplessness in your learners? And three, how might you encourage empowerment rather than learned helplessness? 
When you check out the show notes, you're going to see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, Jeff and I would be truly grateful if you would subscribe as it helps us to get some insight into the impact of what we're doing. And we'd also be grateful if you take just a minute to give us a rating on Apple Podcast. Just go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple. That'll put you in the right place. So Lisa and I personally appreciate your rating and review. And reviews and ratings help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. Finally, consider following us and sharing the good word about leading learning. You can find us on Twitter by going to leadinglearning.com slash Twitter on Facebook at leadinglearning.com slash Facebook, and on LinkedIn at leadinglearning.com slash LinkedIn. We also encourage you to use the hashtag leadinglearning on each of those channels. However you do it, please follow us and please help spread the word about leading learning. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.